XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Welcome to XV Planus. Greetings, friends and fiends, and welcome back to XV Planus, the podcast where we don't just talk about the paranormal, we put boots on the ground and pursue it in the field. Transmitting from the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood, and as always, I am very excited to be back here on the mic to dive further into the unknown, the enigmatic, and the just plain weird with you all. First and foremost, I want to wish you all a very happy Halloween, and I hope you are all out there enjoying the festivities. I, for one, happen to live it every day, so I'll let you kids have your fun while I spend my evening combing through the data of our most recent paranormal investigation. We have a very special double whammy of episodes being released today, and this first part is exactly what the title states. We are doing a feature-length commentary of the film The Mothman Prophecies with screenwriter Rich Haddam, which I am very honored to have hosted and just as thrilled to share it with you all. We also had some very special guests joining the conversation, including the XV Planus family's own Sonny Sulak, Forrest Burgess from Astonishing Legends, and Aaron Deese, author of the Texas Dogman Triangle and host of the Hey Strangeness podcast. I am beyond ecstatic to have such wonderful people take time out of their very busy schedules to join us for this. Now, as I said, this is a full-length commentary, and it's a fairly long flick, so let's get a few things out of the way and then we'll just dive right in. First, we watched this over a Zoom call, and using the screen share option I played this from my Vudu account. If you have the film in a digital format, such as Vudu, Apple TV slash iTunes, Amazon, or any platform of the like, now is the perfect time to go ahead and get it set up. Start the movie, then pause it, and then slide the time code back to zero, and then just wait for us to do the countdown. If you have it on DVD or Blu-ray, I'm relatively certain these same rules will still apply, and it should match up just as well. Second, as I said, we did this through Zoom, so some of the audio is going to be a little wonky at parts, but Rich's beautiful voice came out damn near perfect, and that was really the point, so I'll take it. Third, we had originally planned to do a 10-15 to minute listener Q&A with Rich immediately following the film. It was my intention to stick it right at the end of the commentary as a brief bonus, but the commentary ran a little bit long, and Rich asked if we could pick up that portion a few days later. Well, it turns out that was a blessing in disguise, because what was meant to be a quick side quest turned into an hour-long conversation that I've decided to release as its own episode alongside this one. So, shortly after this episode is posted, look for Season 3, Episode 15B, B as in bonus, on your feed in just a wee bit. A few other quick notes, this started out as a PG-13 commentary. It really did. But as soon as you get either Rich or myself excited, the F-bombs can bubble up. So while no offensive language is there in any way, there are a few choice words that we started to repeat at the end of this journey. At this point, I know all of you kind of expect that from me, but in case you're a first-time listener and have the kiddos around, please let it be known that you have been warned. Also, please check out all of the links related to our guests tonight, including Aaron Deese and his work, Forest and Astonishing Legends, as well as Sunny and her amazing craft works over at Mostly Naughty. That's naughty, spelled K-N-O-T-T-Y, you filthy animals. Last but not least, we are going to reserve all other announcements and housekeeping regarding XV Planus for the intro to the follow-up episode that comes immediately after this one ends. I'll be giving you all a bit of a heads-up regarding what's coming for the rest of Season 3. Okay, that's it. Without further tricks, let's get to the treats. Happy Halloween, boils and ghouls, and please welcome our friends to the show.
Greetings, friends and fiends, and welcome back to XV Planets, the podcast where we don't just talk about the paranormal, we put boots on the ground and pursue it in the field. However, that is not going to be the case tonight. All of my fellow content creators are just knocking out of the park this Halloween season, so I figured I would just kind of prop my feet up and have a little bit of fun. And so I invited uh, the one and only Rich Haddam, screenwriter of the Mothman Prophecies, to come and do a feature-length commentary on one of my personal films of all time. Rich, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, John. I I agreed before I understood the assignment. Uh, <laughs> do we need but to now stop that this I do, now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> do, do, do we need to just stop this and just talk for a couple hours in instead? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have no trouble talking for a couple hours. No, this will actually be great because I have not watched this in a couple of years it's been a little while and then and so i you know it's kind of like you said as as things come up we'll just you know if 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 there's something i can add i will add it believe me oh i guarantee you we will all be going off on many a tangents uh, especially with our other guest tonight first and foremost i want to welcome back my dear friend sunny who is an integral part of the xv planets field team sunny thank you so much for joining us and hello my- hello and a very other special guest tonight, we have Aaron Deese from Hey Strangeness Podcast, as well as the author of the Texas Dogman Triangle and the accompanying documentary, which I encourage you all to go on to Amazon and pick up right now. Aaron, thank you again so much for making the time for this, man. I know you're busy. Hey, no, thank you, man. Very excited to be here. This is also one of my all-time favorite films, so I'm quite excited. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, as I was saying before we actually hit record on this, I think I can actually kind of point the finger and blame Rich Haddam for me being the obsessed paranormal nutcase that I am. Because the Mothman prophecies <laughs> actually kind of did kick this off for me. Uh, it, it took a while to come back around. Um, so yeah, Rich, we're really excited to be doing this with you. And again, thank you making the time to do this. I'm sure we're all going to fanboy slash fangirl out over this. Uh, it's it's definitely one of our personal favorites. So th- this is going to be a blast. Oh, th- this is great, and and thank you. I'm I'm so glad that uh, that the movie meant something to you and had an effect. Um, and it's um, I mean, we'll talk about it, but it's kind of it, it's more fun now than it was when it came out, because when it when it came out. It was sort of there was almost too much going on, you know. It was hard for me to kind of process, you know, what people thought about it, what people were expecting from it, as opposed to what they got from it. Um, and you know, well, maybe I should I should slow down and we can talk about this during the film. But I'm I'm really glad you enjoyed it, and we'll we'll get into more as we go. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, we're 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 definitely going to rip this apart in 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 all of the best ways. Uh, I've I've got tons of questions for you myself, especially regarding your writing process and how you were adapting this, because you know, as we all know, the book is just chock full of utter absurdity <laughs> for hundreds of pages, and to condense that down into a a, a two hour package is uh, quite a feat, sir. Quite a feat. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So for those of you listening at home, well, first and foremost, if you're part of the Patreon feed, you can watch this with us and see all of our goofy reactions and our bright and smiling faces. And uh, for those of you listening on the main podcast and just going audio only, go ahead and turn your TV all the way down. 
We're going to use Voodoo on this, but if you're watching it on any digital platform, it should essentially remain the same. So we're going to start at zero, and we're going to kick this off in five, four, three, two, one, play. Go Mothman. Go Mothman. You can't do it. You know, honestly, when we, Rich, when we kicked this off, I was really tempted to like do the whole um, Mothman. There's no need to be down. I said, Mothman, pick your friend off the ground. I said, Mothman, you know, <laughs> I think <laughs> people have sent me that. And now that's all I can hear. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anytime oh, oh, a song comes on. <clears throat> so that's one of the story is based on events. Yes. Okay. Based on events, but not an accurate representation of those events. And look who's joining us at the bottom of our screen. We got a Forrest Burgess in the house. You are in perfect hey. time, my friend. Go Forrest. Uh, go Forrest. Forrest. You can't do that. <laughs> How much is Rich making from this screening? What's like a couple of pennies and a ball of lint? I mean, that's okay. all I got. Like there's a whole contract set up. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, I should probably explain that this is not you know <laughs> what gets discussed tonight is not the uh Opinions of Screen Gems, Sony, Lakeshore, uh, or anyone go. officially involved with the film. Nice save, sir. Nice save. Yeah. Look at this. Wow. I tell you. A very young Richard Gere. Such a handsome <laughs> man. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Am I the only one that thinks he looks like David Duchovny in this? <laughs> a little bit with the tie and the I sleeves. Swear. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. Yeah. You get Mulder vibes. Yeah. So, Rich, I always well, wanted to you, ask you. get Mulder vibes because he's practically Mulder in the movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Maybe maybe that's where I'm crossing wires, but I, I still see it. Rich, I always wanted to ask you, did you ever make it out to Point Pleasant and check the town out for yourself? No, I have never been to Point Pleasant, and I've never been to um, Catanning, Pennsylvania, which is the body double for <laughs> for Point Pleasant in this movie. Okay. Um, I did meet Richard Gere uh, before the movie, and then, and then, <clears throat> purely by chance, I met Laura Linney a few years after the movie, um, and they were both lovely. You guys still hang out? Yeah, they're here now. Oh, awesome! <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> I'll tell you the Richard Gere Love story later, but I'll tell you. For, for, I'm going to tell you the Laura Linney story right now. We were at a, uh, I mean, and we never do this, my wife, Susan and I, but we were at a, uh, um, an opening night at Lincoln center for a play. And there were all these like New York kind of people there, but one of them was Laura Linney and Susan's like, you got to go up and tell her you wrote Mothman. I'm like, I don't want to do that. She's like, you got to do it. So I'm like, okay. So I go and I tap her on the shoulder. Hi, uh, Miss Linney. Um, I'm Richard Haddam. I wrote the Mothman prophecies. She's like, oh my God. Oh my God. I love that movie. I love doing that. And then she, she said, um, uh, when I, um, she says the one time I ever met James Earl Jones, um, I went up to him and I said, hello, Mr. Jones. I just want to say hello to you. You don't know who I am. And he says, I know who you are. You are in the Mothman prophecies. <laughs> oh, wow. And she's like, and you got to imagine hearing it in his voice. It was the greatest moment. <laughs> of course. 
that should be an audio, like a soundbite somewhere, you know, for TikTok. Right, yeah. The kids would, James would, would go wild. Darth Vader saying right. the Mothman prophecies. <laughs> Good old John Keel. <clears throat> I had to um I had to make a big point of making sure, and I had to make this point several times, that they said that the credit said based on the book by John Keel, not the novel, because they continually refer to it as the novel by John Keel. And I'm like, I don't think you can do that. I think that novel implies fiction. Mm-hmm. Book implies, um, you know, it's a book. It implies nonfiction. And so I had to make a big point to say, no, no, it's got to say based upon the book by John Keel. That's interesting. So I'm sorry, is anybody hearing any uh, social, or like audio distortion on my end? No. Cut no. out every now and then, but not really. Okay. Nothing out of the normal Zoom call. That's literally what I was about to say. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing not atypical for Zoom. Fair enough. So, Rich, I was uh, curious, like, the writing process on this, you had to condense a lot of things down. And as as we all know, a lot of the characters that are here in the film are kind of um, amalgamations of, of numerous people within the books. And um, so when it comes to John Keel in particular, or excuse me, John Klein, um, who all did you fold into this? Because you definitely pick up some of Mary Hire in him as well, although that's transferred over to Laura Linney's character as well. Later. Yeah. 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 Th- there was, I, I, I knew, well, there were a couple things. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do the book. You can't do the book. The, the, the book is, is an amazing book and a, and a fun experience to read, but it would be very difficult to, to to really highlight a you know a characters what i liked about the book was john keel's experience the fact that it started to really work on him he went there he tried to be objective it started to focus on him the story became subjective and then it ended in an unsatisfying way which i loved because it felt real it felt like yeah all the books i read about people trying to figure things out they never figure things out so is there a way to do that? But I knew I was going to have to tell a story about a guy. So I was like, let me just start with the guy, convince you that he's a legit human being who's smart, has a real job, you know, he's one of us, and then let him go into that town and and then just have have a few things happen. But I I, I did want it to feel emotional. So I knew I wanted the Will Patton character and the Laura Linney character, because for me, those were the most emotional connections. I knew there could be sort of a, you know, a romantic relationship, quasi-romantic with Laura Linney, if not a giant love story. And then, um, and then kind of a, a, a tragic friendship with the character based on Woodrow Derenberger. So so that that's I just wanted the emotion. That's all I wanted from this movie, and that's what Mark Pellington managed to capture. I mean, look at this. Look at this. I love this scene. This scene calls back to some of the early Mothman, you know, real life Mothman sightings for me because you have the stories about people in their cars being chased. You yeah, know, I love this scene. 
it's funny. Um, my wife always says, and I, I totally agree. She's like, you know, a lot of movies take place in winter, but not many movies feel cold. But when I'm watching this movie, it like, I can feel cold East coast, Midwest cold. And I totally agree. Yeah, definitely. It, it, the cinematography and, um, the 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 work of light and dark in this film like really does add to that that deep midwestern cold now for anybody who's actually lived in the midwest you know that as soon as that first cold front rolls in in october you were dealing with nothing but gray skies for at least the next six to nine months so. <laughs> um this whole part was was decided upon very early in the process maybe maybe one of the first things in the first couple of weeks when I was making notes, really working on the movie, the notion that, that they're together, there's an accident and it reveals that she's going to die. Thereby connecting the Mothman to this sense of oncoming doom. Mm. Um, I went back and looked at my notes and this was some of the first stuff. I mean, suddenly there's a, I'm, I'm just jotting things down. And then suddenly there's two pages of, of, okay, here's what happens. And I basically described the first 15 minutes of the movie and it it's, it's fairly represented right here. Well, it definitely helps to, like, as you said, you were aiming to, to really hook into that human emotion part of this whole story. This definitely kind of lays the groundwork for it. Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> You know, it, it can't just be, look, Mulder, we could sit with Mulder going through, you know, a hundred plus episodes of, um, oh, look at this. This is so much like the exorcist. I know right. that's what he was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> just the horror of a medical examination. Anyway, um, Mulder goes through all of his episodes that are pretty plot based, but it always works because for us, we know it's emotional because we know he endured a mysterious crime himself. His sister vanished, you know, was abducted. And, and so we know that there's, he's coming at each one of these episodes from an emotional place. He's not just standing back going, Oh, that's weird. Oh, okay. Something weird happened. I wonder if it really happened. He knows it happened. Every Every client, every victim, every person in the X-Files that he talks to, he's thinking about his sister. And that is what makes the show work. So, so that was one of the things I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure that there's a human story being told, not just a story about weird stuff, because I don't, I don't think that's going to work for people, not, not for two hours. Until the, he battles the Mothman. Then, <laughs> right, then you have right. a boss with battle. a giant sword, superhero it, it, it style. Pays off. Yeah. Right, yeah, on a rooftop, of course, because. But do the do people know that uh, that story? Of uh, it wasn't with Lakeshore. It was another production company, which may not be right. mentioned. But uh, uh, Rich, do you do you want to tell oh, that yeah. just an anecdote of uh, when yeah, you're it was Warner script. Brothers. <laughs> okay. who i've worked with many many times but the feature people i was talking to at the time um they were like yeah i it's just you know i mean 
I think we're reading this and we're thinking about it. And we just like, where's the scene where he finally, you know, fights the Mothman. And of course that's when I knew, okay, this, I thought that's just something funny Forrest was saying. Wow. No, 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 (laughs) no. And um, Ron Howard's company. um, And look, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. I mean, they're looking for, look, we need to make a movie that we're going to sell on a date to an audience with a trailer and a commercial we got to be crystal clear what we're selling. This is a supernatural mystery. It's not a horror movie. You know, in the handful of years following The Sixth Sense, you could do that, but it gets harder and harder. And I don't know that you can, I certainly don't think you can do it now. Not, Not in a feature film release, and I don't even know if you can do it on television, but, but, you know, Ron Howard's company said, we really like this script, but it's what we call a tweener it's in between genres it's not quite horror it's not quite drama it's not quite a love story it's a tweener and we don't do tweeners which is unfortunate (laughs) because like that's one of the elements that got me hooked on this is that it was kind of indefinable when it comes to genre you can't really throw it into one box because it works on too many levels there is that really really dramatic human element that a lot of other films miss and you know as you pointed out earlier rich like one of the best parts about your adaptation here is that it hits the nail on the head when it comes to dealing with the paranormal or the supernatural is you will not get answers like it's just never going to happen (laughs) like which is an insane way to write a movie that you want for (laughs) you know you know 22 years ago that you want to have a you know a big release to, to say it's going to be a scary movie and you're not going to get any answers. And the, the fact that the movie got made at all is a miracle. And the fact that it got made by someone who understood that and, and respected it and liked it and, and, you know, was like, yeah, I want to make that movie too. It's a miracle. And, and so, you know, we're, we're lucky to have this. This is not something that could get made now. No. Well, I mean, I think you could in a very, very small A24 type of way if you're you're lucky and you talk to the right people, maybe. Um, but really quick, like the scene that's happening right here, I I love this sequence because you can see the obsession growing in him as he yeah. returns to the scene of the accident, sees the red lights that are attached, and is just you can see the wheels spinning in his head. I thought that was brilliant character development. And even just yeah. the cinematography, like it puts the audience in the perspective of watching him from the outside, maybe from the perspective of this being that may or may not exist. And like it gets us questioning, did something strange happen? You know, did she hallucinate? It, it's so, so well done. Even right. here, like it's the it first like time you really see his investigation. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. no go ahead, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time you really see his investigative nature. Like where he's really genuinely curious about what's going on and which leads into more of what he's going to do with that. Yeah. Which turns into obsession. Not that I would know anything about that. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so we, um, in the script, there were a handful of scenes in between what we just saw and, and, and this, this sort of tableau where we, where we spend about 10 minutes uh, in excruciating personal drama as his wife's parents come into town 
they talk to a doctor. I mean, we really do. It turns into terms of endearment for about 10 pages, which I was really proud of. <laughs> and then was wisely not included in the final cut of the movie because it's like, okay, we get it. We're in the real world. But I loved it because I'm like, the more I can convince you you're in the real world, the scarier everything else is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh, they should shoot this like, you know, a Sydney Lumet film. Or like, you know, Alan Pacula. This should be like, you know, or like, you know, all the president's men. It should almost be documentary style. And then, you know, then of course, Mark Pellington comes in and makes it this, you know, beautiful atmospheric thing that totally works. And it's like, oh yeah, no, this is better. I was going to ask you like how, how much the, your original script differed from what ended up being on screen. Almost not at all, that, which is the other miracle. Wow. There were a few scenes that got, um, that were, that were sort of redone a little, uh, toward the beginning. I think they've mostly passed. And then, and then a handful of lines that were put in some of which are fan favorites. Um, uh, like I, um, their motivations are not human. That was not something I wrote. That was something that got added by Mark Pellington and his creative team which totally nails theme. So it's like, great. Um, but I'll, I'll stop attributing that to you then. That's the, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is, uh, no, it's one of my uh, favorite lines just because it does speak to the phenomena in that it's something that I talk about all the time with pretty much everything we cover and how people, I think it goes to this film is that, you know, whatever's going on out there, uh, is unknowable to a sense and we only really have how we deal with it as humans and with each other and to in order to do that though we we place we see it through a human lens and human logic and feels like well I, that that obviously didn't happen that doesn't make any sense why why would the van meter monster slide down the phone pole it's like you're not <laughs> right. gonna you're not gonna get why it did anything or why this happens or why the mothman is only partially truthful you know or or what's going on here. But but my question to you, Rich, is that do you see this more as a a character piece or a phenomenon piece when you when you talk about uh you know what what the uh, what you're getting as far as emotions and and character development? It's totally a character piece, but but a character reacting to phenomenon. I mean the big the big sort of um uh, you know, different road in this movie, I think, is that typically with movies like this, there's a part somewhere in the middle where information starts coming in. It's like, oh, you know, if it's if it's a haunted house movie, it's like, well, I think we know who we're contacting now, you know, and oh, there's a mystery. Wait, there was a murder. Who was murdered? Where's their body? And and suddenly the, the the mystery becomes very earthbound and very you know like oh okay well now now we're in the world of we're solving a crime basically a ghost is helping us solve a crime but but my thing was no every book I read is just about people who go through something and then just have to deal with it and never have a place to put it it never fits and. And so for me, the only way that story could go is now it's a story about a person who's either going to follow obsession off the cliff into self-destructive madness, or they're going to pull back. And that's how grief became the metaphor 
It's like you can you can only go so far down that road and and give yourself over to those feelings before at a certain point you do have to pull back and go, you know what? I'm still alive and I'm still a human being on earth and there's mysteries and I'm never going to answer them. Maybe I should just go to Laura Linney's house and celebrate Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is always the right answer. Agreed. Good advice for all. Uh, of us. Yeah. <laughs> it, it comes with turkey and pie. So, you know, what yes. do you wrong? Whereas the Mothman is just a, a, a cold, uh, <laughs> a cold standing <laughs> up near a tree in your backyard. Yeah. You don't want that. You don't want that. You, you gotta, you know, boundaries. You got, you need boundaries. Right. Well, that's, that's, and that's something that uh, John and I have talked about when I think when we had him on uh, for our junk drawer is uh, it's always the next question. And, you know, one thing I admire about John is that his, it's that quest for knowledge or the, just the next puzzle piece. And uh, I think, you know, we were talking about how you have to manage that or yeah, it it can get away from you. And uh, you're always left that one little crumb uh, out ahead of you. And uh, at some point, you have to, I, I think, kind of take the other path, or just realize you've had enough crumbs on this one. Like that's that's all the crumbs you're going to get. It's just it's the same little stale piece of uh, crouton, and uh, and there may be another way around to to getting an answer or more knowledge that you like. Yeah, I mean, it, and if you're willing to to go all the way into it, you just need to accept the fact that like really diving into this and and having it become an obsession destroys lives. I mean, we've heard this stories for years. Like you become a ufologist, it, it'll destroy your life. It'll destroy your family, your friends, all of your connections. It just all turns <clears throat> into chaos. Well, and that was John Keel's story too. I mean, and it's described mm-hmm. in the book where, where someone gives them the advice. It's like, look, if you want to get out of this, you got to get out of it, throw your books away, throw the notes away, get, get, get rid of all of it. Don't think about it. Don't talk about it. And that's the Keel always drew the connection between UFO phenomenon and kind of like demonology. It's like, if yeah. you open that door, they'll come in and now you got to deal with them. And you may not want that. You think you want it. You don't want that. So Rich, his writing on, sorry, go ahead, Aaron. No, I was just going to, you know, kind of add on to that. His writing on what he called the super spectrum, you know, he very much aligned these things as being from a singular source. And it it is almost nihilistic in a way, you know, it's been a while since I've read the eighth tower, but he does kind of take a, like, as I recall, just kind of very, this thing is so big. We're never going to figure it out. It's often, you know, very much just, yeah, whatever. But sorry, cut you off. <laughs> oh, you're, you're I good. love this. Oh yeah, Gordon, <laughs> man, I love this character. I it's this was another early, uh, early, early idea. You know, I mean, I've again, I've got the notebook where it's like he's got him in the shower, he's got the gun, he's like, you know, why do you keep coming here? <laughs> I just thought there was something darkly funny about it. I mean, it's horrifying, but it's also it should be funny in a way. But after you've driven so many miles, you know, we've all had those long road trips. So imagine ending that with a shotgun to your face in a stranger's shower, you know. <laughs> Although exactly. did he travel that many miles because he doesn't remember going that far. He right. only, I mean, he lost all that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Doesn't know where he is. Well, he doesn't know he doesn't know where he is yet. But yeah. <clears throat> and and that sort of thing where it's like, it's like you're walking into an into a situation where you're totally an outsider and people are like, Oh, you again. 
<laughs> the Vardogger sort of uh, influence there. So, Rich, we missed it a minute ago, but something I wanted to ask you about is is that sequence when Klein's just getting out of his car and and you know it's dead, it's on the side of the road, and he's kind of stealing himself in the cold and about to start walking toward Gordon's house. Um, there is this brief shot where you you get kind of a from the ground angle. And you see a bizarre lightning flash in the background and these energy currents running along the power lines up above his head. And I was always curious as if that was like an allusion to like the the UFO aspect of of the actual Mothman stories or if that was something that was added by the cinematographer. Or... I'm, I'm sure it was Mark Pellington. I'm sure it was part of the, the you know, the, the visual concept and the visual design. I think they were really excited about, I was so glad about this. They were really excited about telephone lines and what voices are coming over the telephone Mm. and, and, and sort of teasing that aspect. And I think if you watch it, I mean, it's funny, we're kind of watching it silently. I think if you do, you'll probably notice so much more of what they did visually to represent you know, that sort of almost like a Y shape that's sort of the Mothman shape that gets repeated over and over and you can sort of like find it's like a little Easter egg everywhere. Um, So I think that's what they did. It was not something that I did not point. That was not something in the script. That was an opportunity they found and said, okay, Hey, as long as we're here, let's get a little thing going. Let's put a little, let's put a little bit more information in there. By the way, the, uh, the character of Gordon, which we, no is like an amalgamation of, of Woodrow, Woodrow Derenberger and a few other people out there. I love this guy. And I, I I'm sorry, the name of the oh, actor good. escapes me. I should, I should know. Oh, it's a Will it. Patton. Yeah. Will Patton. Yeah. I love Will Patton. Everything this guy does to me is gold. And here, here's the thing. Kevin Costner plays the same damn role in every movie that he's in. And it becomes stale and boring. He does the same thing, but he makes it exciting every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he's like Clint Eastwood, you know? It's like, you never get enough. And his performance is spot on here, too. I mean, just seeing his, you know, we kind of come in during his downward spiral, I guess. But just to see it go, not spo- spoilers. Yeah, but... But what's great about it is the unexpected friendship. And, and again, I was like John Keel constantly in this narrative going, well, okay, then what is the next logical thing? What do you do? What do you do? Like if someone, if you really do show up and this guy says, you know, okay, you've shown up three nights in a row at three in the morning. Now I got you, you son of a bitch. Then in a way, don't you go back on night four and go, well, let's wait and see if I show up. Yeah. I mean, it's like, let's just do that. I mean, th- that to me was delightful. I've never seen that in a movie, but, but it feels like it's like, well, this is what you would do. The more I watch this movie, the more it reminds me of close encounters, just the the way uh, just a normal person would go, well, wait a second, if this is happening, what should I do in response? It's a good way of putting it. And again, you, you really added like through the script, the, the human element in dealing with all of the unknown, I, I think is very apparent here. And that's kind of what it makes it stand out to me. And I, I, I swear, man, the, the more investigations I do, the more phenomena that I encounter, I relate to this movie more and more and more. 
Well, and the nice thing was once I knew I wasn't doing a traditional, like sort of, um, oh, that's nice, a mystery narrative that was like, and I have to like, Ooh, and then we, we find out, we find a clue and then it leads to a you know, cop coming in and all. Once I knew I didn't have to do that. I'm like, well, great. Now that I don't have to do that. I'm unburdened. Now let's just, now let's just talk about the weird stuff. Like, what do you do when a bunch of weird stuff happens in this scene? This is, I mean, so John Keel, mm. the, the wait, I don't even know what town I'm in. How did I even end up here? You know? And there was so much, I mean, yeah, a lot of stuff in the book. The, now this is great. Uh, friends of mine look at this and go, why do you always write all these really ugly motel rooms? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, because I like that. That's what I like. <laughs> I like weird motel rooms in small towns. I love it. Cause that's what the mm. most of us can afford. Right. I mean, we can't afford yeah. the fancy places like the low hotel. We go to the, the budget <laughs> inn all across the river. There's a um there's a sci-fi channel back when you know sci-fi channel was a thing. Uh there's a sci-fi channel miniseries called The Lost Room that I executive produced, but I did not write. That 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 completely and th we did it in 2006, so it was five years after this, but it so embraces the motel room aesthetic that I love. And I just, I never get tired of it. That is a great series. I think it's, uh, yeah. Uh, Peter, uh, I'm trying to think of the, uh, oh, uh, Peter Krause, the main actor, Peter Krause. Yeah. And, uh, it just, yeah, very well done. Great character actors, uh, all, you know, centered around this, <laughs> this room, which, uh, yeah, it, it, I think it was very well done because it's nondescript, but then everything in it has a profound meaning, let's say, of, uh, and, and leads off. So it's a great, it's a great springboard setup as I would say in the, in the screenplay biz. Uh, but yeah. I just want to say that uh, this is such a, to me, I, there's a handful of movies that are very much late night watching. You, you know, you don't start them before midnight, midnight to three or 4 AM is prime viewing because there's something evocative about the mood. And this one, that scene where he arrives at the motel, yes, it's night, it's late, but there's something about, um, just the the vibe and the tone of it it is just really emits uh that late night feel i think also just being lost in the middle of the night but uh but i've talked to different people uh who all seem to agree it is a you don't have to watch the whole thing just a few scenes late at night really will get you your mothman prophecies fix <laughs> so kudos to you rich yeah well well it does i mean it's so funny just just us talking and this playing i'm like it it is so it the the filmmaking is so nutritious in a way that I also don't think exists as much anymore in major releases. Th this feels there are shots that feel like Kubrick. There's stuff that feels like um, uh, Terrence Malick. I, I mean, but mm. but just the way this feels to watch it, just the the sort of the, the color palette and the texture of the images, it just feels good to watch. This is something you can just put on in the background on one of the TVs at your Halloween party, but I'd probably end up sitting on a couch watching it silently anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the use of the color red in the scene we just saw where he's entering the hotel room, I, I think is so well done because it's like it's this encroaching presence as he gets further into this investigation, you know. He sees the red lights and the red eyes, and it, it, it just grows and grows. It's one of my favorite things. 
Now, how many days were you on set, Rich, for this? Never, never. Really? You? Uh, oh, wow. Um, no. In in most in most feature films, um, uh, certainly of that era and before, the screenwriter was not a welcome presence. Uh, screenwriter writes the script, director then makes the movie. And, um, and like I've said before, you know, Mark Pellington, you know, in the one phone call we had before he started filming, he basically said, look, I'm, I'm going to go make your movie. I'm going to make your movie. Um, I've got two guys that I work with who are sort of my creative team. So changes that have to be made on set get made by them. But, but so, you know, I read every draft that anyone wrote and I'm going back to your first draft. This is what I want to shoot. I love it. This is the movie you know, what am I going to say? I was my, I, I hadn't worked in the industry ever. This was the first thing I'd, I'd shared a credit on under siege too. And then, then this was my first thing. It was way before television. Okay. And so I said, I said, okay, <laughs> all right, I guess I'll see you in two years. <laughs> and there you go. And, and I was very, you know, when they, when I got called in to watch a, a cut of the movie, I was so pleased because I'm like, oh, okay, wow, it really is. It is exactly, you know, it's my script. It's my story. It's everything emotionally that I wanted to put across. And um, and so yeah, that that is that's it's a one in a million uh thing to have happen. I can point at this and go, yeah, that's the that's my movie. I find no, it funny say. that, and I don't know whose decision it was or why it was happening, but, but every time Greer has a conversation with someone, they're like literally like five inches from each other's face. And it's something I can't help but notice throughout the entire film, no matter if they're outdoors, indoors, it's like this intimate conversation happening between the two. They're so close together. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, um, I don't know if it's claustrophobic. I think intimate actually is a better word mm-hmm. that, that, you know, these people are connecting up almost whether they want to or not. Well, well, that, know, like that, that, this is sort of a normal shot. That's almost normal coverage. Um, but, but it was preceded by an extreme close up on sort of half of his face getting close to it. Now her is very close. And again, it's clear that this is a, um, like I mean, a municipal building, but it doesn't look like any municipal building you've ever been in. It's not harshly lit with white surfaces and fluorescent lights. He manages to convey all of that stuff, but still make it moody and brooding. Yeah, the cinematography was was actually superb uh, on this. And and Sonny, I think you're right. Like intimate is definitely the way to to describe it. And, and Rich, I think that's what makes this film have such an impact and, and hooks people in is that yeah, it does make you feel well, like you're close. You're, you're in there with them. Well, look at her. Let me look at, look at this actress. You don't see actresses like this in movies. She looks like a person, mm-hmm. you know, she looks like a person in West Virginia. Look at that. That's great. That's what I want. Richard Gere can look good. Laura Linney can look good. Everyone else got to look like us. I love that. No, that's that's a really really good point. It, it it brings it down to a more grounded area on that. Yeah. 
Look at that dude. <laughs> I mean, Sonny, I mean, you're in North Carolina. You know what people look like in real life. <laughs> <laughs> From South Louisiana, it only gets better. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Hon- honestly, I would argue you're 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 like the stereotypes here are definitely more southern than anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've moved up in that class. <laughs> yeah, this love, is sort of I, a this is a Mothman shot. This is almost like a Mothman POV as he flies away. I was going to say I love the shots like that throughout the film because it gives you the impression that these people are being observed, you know, mm-hmm. by something. Without without someone saying, oh, "I feel like someone's watching me," like you just get that impression. Yeah. Um, these scenes were all very early also, um, the, the sort of the, the investigation scenes. And again, they were, they were, you know, I, I sort of took things from the book and then fashioned, um, moments of investigation. Cause I wanted him to go talk to people and, and sort of do his job. And, and I wanted to show the people being human beings, not being goofy not being you know not not even having a strong opinion about what happened other than well this happened and this happened and this happened and that's all i can tell you <laughs> this is just me chuckling at my funny lines i'm so good <laughs> Man, I need to go back and and look up. Uh, I should have done this before we had this conversation, but I got to go back up and and look up the entire crew because the cinematographer on this did a an exceptional job, really did. Oh yeah. Speaking <laughs> of humorous lines, we already went. Wait, what's that? Right. <laughs> I said, speaking of funny lines, though, like we already went past this scene, but that moment when he's like looking at the border and the clerk is like, oh, the Ohio border over here, like (laughs) for some reason that still makes me crack up every time. Uh, See, I love this this scene in particular, because this is definitely a nod to uh, a lot of the events that happen. and, And this is kind of playing off of the the two couples that have the the whole chase down right yeah um yeah and and i'm gonna say this scene is sort of a well i mean that's very (laughs) close encounters alien it's funny i will tell you that when the, the biggest note they had on the script that lakeshore had when when it was like okay we're gonna do this the biggest note they had was take all the UFO stuff out. Don't talk about UFOs. Don't, don't make this about UFOs. It's Mothman. It's other weird stuff, but we don't want this to be a UFO movie for them. The presence of UFOs almost placed it into another genre. And they were like, we don't need that. Let's just make it about. And I was sort of like, Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I get that. All right. All right. It doesn't, you know, now that scene right there looks like, a dramatic, you know, sort of reenactment of a UFO abduction, the bright light coming in the hand, you know, sort of getting that, that sort of blasting light. Um, 
So it's suggestive of UFO phenomenon without ever being about UFO phenomenon, which I actually thought was a really, at first I was like, I don't know. But then once we did it, I was like, oh yeah, this is a good idea. Well, it's honestly, it's kind of brilliant because they're, I mean, as as we all know, we're all familiar with the actual story and, and the book and everything. There was so much wild, crazy stuff going on there. There's no way you could pack that into two hours. There's there's just no way. So finding creative ways to like leave trails of breadcrumbs, I thought was incredibly captivating. And yet again, it's it's one of the reasons that I keep coming back and watching this a couple of times every year is is its subtlety is um it's an intense subtlety, if that is even a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is, you know, so I do this class at UCLA and I'm doing it now. Um, and one of the things we were talking about last week for some reason was the horror genre and how there's like a subgenre of horror called analog horror, which is all about creepy old tech. <laughs> and this movie, I think, lives there. I mean, there are so many landlines in this movie. It's all about scary things and phones ringing but it's always a landline in, in 2002 you could do it. it 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 wasn't that strange it didn't feel retro look at all this stuff all these vcrs and tape recorders i mean look at look at the racks of this stuff i love this so considering that it was brought back to modern times what was your thinking there considering that the event happened in 67 was there a executive decision or was that like you creatively um that was me creatively i decided that i didn't i didn't want to create a um any distance for the audience i'm like i, I you know i want to place it right now so that it feels contemporary and people feel connected to what's going on they're not going oh this is some old thing about a thing that probably didn't happen 30 years ago i'm like no it's <laughs> happening right now because it is and that's the thing that that it wasn't so much, oh, here's this one weird thing that happened one time. It's more like, in the story of the Mothman prophecies, everything happens in terms of the paranormal. You've got EVP, you've got UFOs, you know, high strangeness, uh, poltergeist activity, men in black. You've got everything. I'm talking about the book. You've sort of got everything going on in one place in one time frame so i was like you know rather than trying to specifically tell that story i'm going to set it modern i'm going to make it very very obvious that it is not an accurate retelling of the book it's based on the book but it is not set in that time it doesn't have those it mary hire's not in it it you know people woodrow derenberger that's not his name even to the point where it's like I purposely made the number of people who died on the bridge different so that it wouldn't even then it wouldn't be like, well, you're somehow disrespecting the people who were victims on that bridge. I, I wanted it to exist in a separate reality that was very, very close, but not exactly it so that people could then almost disengage and just watch this and just get the points this is making. I love that. Where did the bleeding ear come into play? Like, uh, what made you work that into the script? I got to be honest. I'm not even sure I did. That may be an addition. I don't clearly remember. 
I know that he had a problem. I know that he went to a doctor because I wanted to do the go to the doctor, get the brain scan. Make sure you know, do I have a tumor like, like, you know, John Klein's wife, is this just a symptom of a brain tumor? My wife thought she saw something. She had a brain tumor. Maybe you've got a brain tumor. Well, he doesn't. Well, now, okay. All right. Now we got to figure that out. But look, that's what all this is about. Again, just, just going back and logically going, well, wait a second. If I'm not, if I haven't read all the books, what would I assume? I would assume you're having the same medical problem my wife had. Well, I just want to say, Rich, you, yeah, the, uh, well, that's a great hallway, by the way. It's very, <laughs> great very asylum-like. Uh, right. And, uh, yeah, uh, no, I was going to say not Waverly, but uh, <clears throat> certainly one that's, uh, the t- t- cold tiles like that just suggest autopsy, so, and drains. Look at this. Uh, but I was, Come on. <laughs> I was going to say, the, uh, it's, it's interesting, though, he said that the, their biggest note was no UFO connection. And just looking at the IMDb page, because I, I, I think I knew this before, but I've forgotten it. Uh, the casting was done by Georgianne Walker, wife of Christopher Walken. Sorry, yeah, Wal- uh, Georgianne Walken, wife of oh. uh, Christopher Walken, who, of course, was in communion. <laughs> and uh, Sheila Jaffe, another longtime casting great so can't help it so hollywood's a small town you're gonna you're gonna run into somebody that's connected yeah yeah um, i love <clears throat> i love will Patton's. um th- that sort of reaction where it's like i'm upset because i was not told a reason by the doctor oh i love this shot this is just so creepy and this is also like a really subtle nod to Chief Cornwall in the background, right? Isn't it? Oh, the Chief Cornstock, yeah. Yeah, Cornstock, yes. Thank you. Yeah, the little diners. Come on. This is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> Which diners had a huge part to play in your writing process on this, didn't it? Um, I, I wrote it. <laughs> There's this bookstore in uh, Pasadena, Forrest knows it, uh, Romans. And attached to Romans is a little coffee house. And so the majority, the vast majority of this movie um, was written sitting in that little coffee house looking onto Colorado Boulevard. And when John Keel came out to visit in 2001, I think it was, um, I drove him past. I'm like, okay, I parked. I'm like, okay, see in that window? See that? See right there? That's where I sat writing this. (laughs) <laughs> and he was super nice. He was a very supportive. So that um that obviously made me feel, you know, wonderful. That was your JK Rowling moment. Uh <laughs> she she wrote uh, a lot of Harry Potter sitting in the cafe, or at least the first one. Right. Different right, thing. Right. where you go you go somewhere else. Yeah, that becomes a special spot. I didn't think it, it would be possible. I'm like, how am I going to write away from home? But I, I almost needed noise to sort of give me a background. And then um, and it worked out pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> At least you didn't go to, uh, it, it's funny, like that is uh, cool and respectable. The, the, uh, you didn't go to the, uh, I didn't see the coffee, coffee bean and tea leaf or a Starbucks that is on sunset. Right. And it's the most conspicuous place. And you go in there and it's everybody, Clacking well back in the day on their two inch thick laptops, 
right. and there you go by it's it's all in script form it's just oh. everybody in there is writing a script oh forrest talk about um old tech alert i wrote this on a laptop it was a it was a compact armada i remember yes Holy i remember that. yeah <laughs> Do you remember the compact? It was C O M P A Q. Q, yeah. Q, yes. And the, I owned a right. couple compacts in the day. Yeah. 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 Red and type. I talk- the, yeah. I mean, ironically, you've seen these things advertised on Instagram, but it's like, uh, it was at the free right, which is like, it's getting, it's going backwards. It's like, now we're back to the, it's just a PC with a tiny yeah. <laughs> black and white uh, LCD screen. We're you're paying you don't over- have all this kind of crap. Yeah. We're paying over a thousand dollars for what is essentially a brother word processor. Yeah. It's a brother, <laughs> exactly. With Wi-Fi. And, uh, yeah. yeah. At first, I thought Rich was going to say a K Pro. Do you remember those? No. <laughs> the five and a quarter, the floppy, yes. and the green screen, and it's oh, all God. built. It's all it's all built in. And then, yeah, that's that. I think that's even older. That's that's yeah. In the eighties, yeah, that almost, you, isn't it? That was not uh, mobile. I think it did have a cover that came off the front. Uh, so you okay. could travel with it like to a motel room like Richard Gear, but you don't, yeah, you don't take it and put it on your lap at a Starbucks. Well, we it better be careful. Felt, I was going to say it still felt so modern to be able to yeah. write remotely on a laptop computer. And by the way, folks, no internet connection at all, not even available, not even yeah. possible on this thing. So I sat there, I was working. There was no, oh, I think I'll go look at this. I'll go on Twitter. I'll go on Facebook. I was just writing. That's all this machine did. Yeah. It wasn't until later that I had something that was like, oh, there's a Bluetooth in here. Whatever. <laughs> well, that's what allowed you to write. You weren't, you weren't, you know, that's the idea of the, the free writing. You're not distracted by, oh, let me just check email while I uh, do this. Let's see what's happening on Twitter. Plus at that time, there wasn't much, all that much on the internet. Uh, that was worth no. uh, drilling down on, getting getting crazy. Well, and as you can see, there's not a lot of internet in this movie. There's there, yeah. no one's really doing internet searches and e- checking my email and stuff. I mean, he's using a, he's not even using a cell phone. I mean, I, I guess, yeah. I think he uses it, but uses it once or twice in the entire film. Yeah, yeah. But um, this was a, like, this that. was before the advent of the boom of modern technology. Yeah, which is weird because it felt like it's like I had a fax machine, ladies and gentlemen. I was in the future. <laughs> I don't know about you. Well, Rich, that's that's what they say. It's a a lot of movies that you know take place uh, are are kind of retro uh, because, of course, you could solve this problem. Is that most of the plot points and intrigue would be solved if somebody just had a cell phone. Like if right. that, yes, <laughs> all of that, all that intrigue goes away. And then the it's like, well, we can't communicate with them. And, and non-communication is a, a major stressing point. And so, uh, and also, uh, you know, it, it just solves a lot of problems. So it's best not to have people be able to uh, readily tell themselves. It's like, well, yeah, the killer's hiding in the, if, you know, <laughs> let me just ring you up and I'll just solve this in five minutes. You just toss it into the group chat. It'd be over in five minutes. <laughs> Everybody would know. Well, that was the, yeah. And that was the, uh, was it John Woo with uh, The Departed? That was a very intense thing because uh, he's trying to send early texts on his flip phone and not have it ring or the light show up. And it's it's crucial information uh, that could get him killed. But, 
I was going to say, oh, John, I had a question for you as far as in your investigations or Aaron or anybody. Uh, if you do you employ both electronic and analog going back to, you know, Rich talking about uh, analog horror uh, and find that one works better than the others. Of course, EVPs, I, I first learned about them and wanted to try them by uh, playing, uh, you know, using a cassette recorder and be playing uh, fan noise or water noise. Uh, and try the old-fashioned EVP way rather than, uh, or children's toys that aren't electronic, but just, you know, you could move or like an extra sketch, if anything, uh, if, if analog or electronic works better. Honestly, I think they both have their merits, but the more and more I do this, I think it has less to do with the technology and it has more to do with the people involved, their intent, and um, the locations that you're at and what you're trying to tap into. Mm. I'm I'm seeing a lot of variables there, and and our experiences at the Sally House is a prime example. The best EVP that we got through that entire investigation was on a a really crappy, like simple handheld classic tape recorder with a voice activated response on it, and that's the one where we had that that song come on and the, the voices pop in a couple of times. So. I don't know. I, I think they both have their merits. It just really depends. Aaron, what about you? Have you uh, you toyed around with the technology aspect on investigation as much? A bit. I, I, I'm always very careful to state that I'm a, a, a writer and a researcher. I'm not really an investigator, but the the little bit of <laughs> of experimentation we've done, you know, we did catch some strange audio on just a plain old uh, Canon pocket digital recorder. It doesn't even have a USB out on it. You know, very rudimentary. Um, so. It, it seems to me I get better results with simpler equipment, but again, I don't have a body of research that I can point to to corroborate that necessarily. Yeah, I would honestly say that uh, after doing this for a few years, I've come to realize that if you spend too much time focusing on the equipment, you're going to be missing what's happening right in front of your face. Hmm. It, it really has gotten to that point so much, in fact, that the only good thing about me coming back down south is that I picked up a kind of assistant who's happy to take care of the technological aspect of it so I can just work on the actual phenomena itself. And hopefully that's going to yield some different results coming soon. Rich, uh, I, I want to backtrack here really quick because there was a really interesting scene that that stands out to me that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, when it comes to the character of Gordon, there is this incredible shift in his personality and his confidence after he has this meeting, quote unquote, meeting with Indrid Cold. And um, yeah. I, I thought that to be like, it, it was a very telling thing. So throughout the course up until that point, Gordon is kind of apprehensive, a little all over the place. He's, he's not quick to trust. Um, and eventually they build up a little bit of a, a rapport, uh, John Klein and Gordon. And then after that encounter, Gordon's whole personality shifts. He goes from being somewhat timid to you see him even standing up more straight and speaking with confidence and a little smile on the side of his face. Like I know more than you do at this point. And uh, was was that intentional or was that coming from uh, the director? Or was that written into the script? No, it was absolutely intentional. There comes a moment in contact phenomenon where, where you 
a a person, a contactee, an experiencer suddenly feels like they are being let in. They're being afforded a glimpse behind the curtain. They're like, oh, all of this frustrating, weird, complicated stuff. Oh, but now comes the revelation. And for, for Gordon, that's what's happening now. It's like, oh, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not sick. I'm not wrong. Now I know the truth that you people don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's to me the scariest thing. Well, this is the scariest thing right now. This is my yeah, favorite. Yeah. I was about to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> does everybody does everybody have it in their pocket? We ready to go? I love this scene. I do have a question about this scene. Maybe I should save it for the moment when we get there. I've I've always got it in my pocket. <laughs> oh, his is red. <laughs> that was the question. Why why chapstick? Again, everybody, but was that a random choice of an item or or I've always wondered this. I don't know why. <laughs> it's because I always have it in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> you have it right Literally, now. Literally. <laughs> this is me. This is nice. just me going, what do I have? Okay. And I had a whole stupid thing where where um He's like, okay, what's in my pocket right now? And Indrid Cold is like, cream stick. And I was like, what? Cream stick? What the <laughs> fuck is that? And then he takes out the chapstick and it's like, oh, that's oh. what he, th- like, he doesn't understand what a product name is. He just thinks it's this thing. Oh my God. So I was all excited, and the, but it, I think it sounded too stupid. So. <laughs> and I remember that I remember that scene so vividly because it was in a lot of the cinematic trailers, you know, mm-hmm. as they would show like the sketches that Mary was making and all these different little things. And then I, I just remember that being burned in my mind. Chapstick. Like it's it's always stuck with me. <laughs> well, I always say the only two movies that really highlight chapstick are this and Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> and I love both. So <laughs> No, but this is great. I, I so Napoleon wrote, Dynamite and Mothman Prophecies exist in the same cinematic universe. I am on to you. Well, Napoleon came out in 2004, so they're they're stealing from Mothman, clearly. But clearly, but but and I love that. I I love it's like oh, he says Indrid Cold's there. Go over there. Get over there. See see what's in there. We got to see this guy. And then of course this. Of course you know this is going to happen. It's like what? Huh? Huh? I've been asleep. What are you talking about? It's like, oh, fuck, who's he talking to? (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, there's not, there's not a minute of this. That's not in some twilight zone episode. Nothing has been invented, (laughs) but I loved the, the, the phone call. When I was writing the phone call, I was like, I was like, I think this is the scariest thing in the world. I think this is the coolest scene. If this scene was happening and I was watching it, I was in a theater, I would my the top of my head would be coming off. I would be like, this is the scene I have always wanted to see. This is all I care about. And um, and people talk about people like, oh my God, that scene was so great. I'm like, oh, thank God. Okay, good. As long as it's not just me. <laughs> I remember seeing this on opening night in theaters when I was a younger man. And not being <laughs> yeah, able that, to you and me both. <laughs> I remember not being able to sleep that night, not because I was afraid necessarily, but because it it got my mind so charged up. And the friend I saw it with, you know, we went outside and he lived by some woods. We looked off into the distance and we see this flashing red light on like a 
cell phone tower or something. But I just, it was such a cool moment. I forgot where I was going with that, but I love this movie. Well, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, um, I was terrified to go to sleep that night too, because I had heard how the box office was going. So did you, did you ever think that it would develop the, the kind of cult following that it has over the years? No, because, because when it came out, you know, I mean, it's a major release. I mean, all you care about, it's so, it's so hard. It's like in the moment you're just like, well, it's gotta be number one. It wasn't even in the top five. This was not a hit. And so after, after it was out for a month and then it was going away, I was sort of like, wow. So I spent like five years of my life, you know, and, and like all, like everything counted on this. This was my big moment. And it's like, oh, no, no one came to my party. Okay. All right. Well, you know, keep moving. And by then there there was a, a TV pilot I was working on, which, you know, got, got one season on ABC. And so I was busy with something. Thank God. Which deserved but, more by the way. <clears throat> well, you know, uh, thank you. But, um, but I sort of thought, well, okay. So, and you know, and the reviews were not great. People were like, oh, this is, you know, a X-Files thing, or this is not, you know, this is, it was really weird. I mean, it's bizarre when you think about it now that reviewers were, were so dismissive of this, which is so fucking beautiful. Mm. Um, but but I think it makes I think it especially for reviewers it's like well if this is a scary movie then I'm don't ask me to take it seriously please which of course is what I was hoping for and I think what Mark was hoping for yeah. and that's what people don't want because it's like don't show me something weird and ask me to take it seriously because that makes me uncomfortable bordering on angry and and reviewers are the same way and they'll just be like oh I'm just reviewing a product and why is it trying to be better than its own station. And that was the tone of many of the reviews. Then years go by, 10 years go by, 20 years go by. And I've been so lucky. And and part of it also was discovering Scott and Forrest and Astonishing Legends. And, you know, they did a big three-parter on on the phenomenon. Um, It may have been longer than three parts, actually. And And they mentioned the movie, but it was right around then that people that I would hear from would suddenly be like, Oh yeah, that, that I really love that movie. And it was because by then people were no longer listening to ads or thinking it was this, but then getting that anyone who was watching it was watching it because somebody else said, Oh, this thing's really, this thing's weird. This thing's creepy. It's unsettling. Like you should just watch it, but watch it during the day. And then yeah. they would, and, then, and, and and that was framing it right. It was being framed by people who had seen it and liked it, and then they were expressing to people. And then, and then when you watch it with the right framing, it it's it it is effective. So yeah, I'm I'm thrilled that it's a cult movie now, and that the people who watch it now see it in a in a very different way than it was seen twenty years ago. I think there's a very specific reason for that. And I'm not going to go too far off into the rabbit hole right now. But if if you kind of look at the statistics in, in the last 10 years or so, there has been in a very, very large increase of interest in the paranormal. And a lot of that comes off, unfortunately, with uh, terrible ghost hunting shows that I'm not going to go into because I'll just start getting angry and yelling. But on the flip side of that, you you have this whole new wave of people who are kind of on their own spiritual or or 
reality pushing um journeys like trying to figure out the nature of the universe their own life and the things around them so i i would honestly say that this movie was way ahead of its time it, it was released probably 15 years too soon um had had this come out now honestly would have been a hit it would have gone it would have shot through the roof really um, well what what's nice is that it still can be seen and it and it still can be enjoyed and this is a greater gift there were movies made at the time that did much better box office that are forgotten and this one isn't forgotten and that is that is a testament to mark pellington's um gift as a director richard gear and laura linney and the entire cast and and the fact that now you know people can find it sort of discover it on their own and and also we live in a time now like when this movie came out th- there was no facebook there was no there were no podcasts there was no twitter there really was no way for people to really express interest in something directly to the people who made it and that's the gift of working in the entertainment industry in the last 20 years is that you may do a show that no one's really watching but you will hear from the fans of that show damn right and you will know that there is someone out there who loves what you're doing even though it's not being watched by as many people as are watching succession or squid games it's like you you get that and and so and for me that's all that's everything i just want to know what people experience when they watch this i've had people come to me and tell me that it's it's been very meaningful in terms of uh, dealing with grief and um it, it's hit people in really deep emotional ways that means everything to me that's how i felt when i wrote it that's all that's all i want to know is that it had that effect on someone when when they watched it so i consider myself really really lucky with this one well, you, you definitely hooked me on that one brief aside here let's talk about this character really quick <laughs> <laughs> It, it's the, this i always call this ask the expert because the the right. hero has to go figure out what is what the hell is going on no one else knows about this i have to find the one person that can uh point me in the right direction and they're always hesitant it's just like well I, right. i'm only going to show you so much because the rest of it leads to doom Trust exactly me. yeah yeah it always has to be the guy who's like i don't want to talk about this no but you must it's super important to me right now uh better better you don't ask these questions yeah <laughs> like, that, it has to be that now of course and i've told this before but you know in my mind it's like well we've got to subvert every expectation so it can't be like a hammer horror film it can't be christopher lee it can't be max von Sydow. Right. can't be you the know? british guy let's not do that don't be the British guy. Let's get Harvey Keitel in there. Ooh, ooh. that was my that was my pitch. Ooh. Robert Duvall or Harvey Keitel. Actually, I think Duvall would have been. Oh, yeah, Duvall being all curmudgeonly about it, I could totally right? see that working. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Har- I, I'm Harvey like this... Keitel. I, I I just I wouldn't be able to get Bad Lieutenant out of my head, so I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, uh... Well, I figured, you know, it's got, this has got to feel like the most grounded salt of the earth. I mean, it's got to feel like a cab driver, just, you know, <laughs> stepping out of their cab, you know, Peter Falk or something, you know, just, just one of those guys, you know, I mean, that's me. So 
And then they go with Alan Bates. And I'm like, well, that's not, that's not what I meant. But of course, Alan Bates is brilliant. And so it's like, okay, yeah, I'll take it. Oh, look at this. It's Christmas now. It's Christmas. See, this this is definitely now in my top 10 Christmas movies now. So there, yeah, there you yeah, go. See, yeah. Easily. I am gonna make Christmas so uncomfortable my for my family this year. Like it's <laughs> well for me, Christmas has always been a mixture of 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 warmth and magic and this sort of scary supernatural. You know, it's like, ooh, it's still a ghost story, though. It's still a Christmas carol. Oh, which is not happy, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's dark, man. <laughs> you, right? You've been on diatribes on that before, and and I sincerely suggest everybody go and listen to Rich's uh, spots on Astonishing Legends regarding the, the, indie, the NDE series. That's when you touched on it, right? Right, right, right. That was, uh, mind that was blowing. Like, uh, I never five years ago, I think. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, but it was these it's these scenes right here where where sort of the close encounters of it all, like I, I, there's the the scene as written was they're watching lights in the sky and it's weirdly romantic because they're experiencing something that is not overtly threatening. It's it's more like the aurora borealis, you know. You're just like, wow, it takes your breath away and you you almost can't believe it's real, but you're experiencing this elevated moment with somebody. And, and, and I, I thought, God, there's just nothing better than two people falling in love while witnessing the supernatural. Like there, there's something there. I don't know that I, again, I don't know that I've ever seen that where, where that's what's happening. It's like, we're, we're having this transcendent moment and we're having it together you know, this is part of our courtship. And, um, well, you know, do you see it? Do you see it in a lot of movies? Well, anything, uh, where there's a lot of intense trauma, I mean, battle scenes, you know, the thing I'm thinking about, uh, one of the, the best moments where nothing is said is at the end of Jaws. And, uh, you know, Richard Dreyfus comes up, he says, Quinn, and he just goes, he just kind of smiles and shakes his head. And that's all I have to say. And there's a bonding moment there, and then, and of course, in the movies you gotta have a joke as you're, as you're paddling back. As in most Shane yeah. Black movies, you get, you know, like, you yeah. gotta hit the guy with a surfboard. They say, "Surf's up, punk." Yeah, you gotta bring it back down. You gotta go. Okay, now take a breath. We're back. We landed. We have landed. You know, we're we're pulling up to the gate. We have landed. <laughs> Everything's okay now. Yeah. We've all survived. Um. Yeah, and there was there was there were moments like that in close encounters between Melinda Dillon and Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. Almost to the point where you were like, oh, well, is this gonna turn into like a love story between the two of them? Because they've been they've been allowed to sort of participate firsthand in this experience. Then it doesn't go that way. But there are moments that f- it feels like that. And and so it, yeah. it, it's a movie that takes advantage of it without ever having to pay it off, which I respect. So um so yeah, I, I I just thought that was it, it was um it was something I wanted to touch on. There were moments from Poltergeist uh, that that inspired moments in this. So, and I didn't know it. These were things I did not know at the time until a couple of years afterwards. I rewatched those movies and went, "Oh, that's the feeling I was feeling when I yeah. wrote that." Right, and it, it doesn't it doesn't take much. I think in this film, uh, 
maybe it's her. Well, it is actually before this happens where she says dinner's at five, you know, show yes. up at four, dinner's at five. And that's all you have to say, because that's your normalcy is yes. I will bring you back for dinner. Just, you know, be on time and we'll have good food and we won't talk about any of this crap. But also in, in Close Encounters where nothing, you don't need a whole big speech. Same thing where it's Melinda Dillon and the uh, uh, Dreyfus and they're at the road. And, and there's that moment where he goes, I got to go down there. And she goes, I, I don't have to. And he goes like, I have to. And she goes, I know, I know. And that's, she gets it. Yeah. But that she's like, you, this is where the, our paths diverge, even though we've shared this intense moment and a kiss. But, you know, she's fine until her thing is getting her son back. And then you see that she does come down. But like that for her, it's not about what's up in space. It's about what's here at home. Right. Her whole yeah. universe is Barry. And totally. she can't think about it. Now, on the other hand, this is we've talked about this quite a bit. Richard Dreyfus also has, you know, he's got Terry Gard and kids he loves. But this is, it's a weird thing. Like he's, it's like the life of a of a police officer or surgeon. It's like, that has to come first. His quest for knowledge and going aboard a spaceship where he comes back and now it's 90 years later and everyone's dead that he loves, that has to take precedence because he needs, for him, he needs the answer and he abandons his family. Well, he's already alienated them pretty well, so I, a- <laughs> I don't think he had a lot to go back to. <laughs> well, they're going to clean up at home. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. it could have it could have come back, but, you know, uh, it's just a weird thing. Imagine, you know, like I said, if this played out of his real drama and the rich had to write it, then the kids are now in their thirties. And it's like, where were you, dad? You missed all these, you know, us growing up. He's like, yeah, but I was, I was flying around the universe. It was cool. It's like, and so that's the thing. It's like, well, yeah. does that doesn't matter because we're here. We are present right. and you weren't, um, you know, so yeah, the, that, that's the, the payoff. Yeah, the, the the white man's got to go off and abandon his family and go conquer the new world. Meanwhile, Melinda <laughs> Dillon is just like, I just want to take my kid and go home. Is that okay? And you know, whatever. Yeah. You guys go do your fucking thing. I don't give a shit. But but she did want a photo. She gets her uh, Instamatic uh, 126 out. Her, uh, well, there's always, I mean, but you need you need each. And 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 I, I love this shot. God, look at that thing. Anyway, yeah, um, I do, I, you know, you need one and the other. And I don't know if if the other side has been represented as much as the as the female character sort of being the one that that has to go the full length of the road into the supernatural while the male partner potential partner stays behind rooted in the real world family mm-hmm. you know and i think there's room for that and i'm sure there's examples of it but this you know and this is an example of the more traditional you know dude dude's gonna go and woman's gonna go really um okay weirdo uh you want to just uh wrap it up (laughs) yeah come on over here for christmas uh okay or you're just gonna go be a weirdo okay right but but if you look at uh, that's what was interesting. I just for some reason watched a clip uh, last night of Poltergeist, and you realize that is one movie where the central pivotal characters are all female. Yeah, you've Carol Ann, you've got Joe Beth Williams, the mom, and and uh, you've got uh, Zelda Rubenstein. You've got the uh, the paranormal uh, parapsychologist from the from the college. Uh, 
and she's terrific. She looks the part. She looks well. She looks like, um, and I think she was probably patterned after uh, who's someone everybody loves to bag on. Uh, uh, Linda Moulton Howe, you know, uh, <laughs> it is a, and so, uh, but but they're really kind of controlling all uh, the narrative. And I remember Zelda when she's making her great, terrific speech. She says, you know, she will only answer to mom. Yeah. And even though dad's there and he's powerful, this is about this is not about brute strength. Uh, this is about emotion and that connection. And that's what's going to save the day. Although, you know, he can go in with a rope on, uh, but it's going to be it's going to take that bond between uh, mother and daughter to save all this. Uh, but, yeah, they're the ones that, with the power uh, and the answers. Yeah. So we skipped over a couple things here. I just want to circle back really quick. We had the scary moment where Richard Gere is in bed and he turns over and there's and there's his wife. So I Deborah really Messing. want to ask you about that and where you got the inspiration for it, because that whole sequence from the moment that he rolls over Caesar there to the moment that he bangs his head in the mirror, that hits so close to home for me with some of my stranger experiences investigating the paranormal. I'm wondering where you picked up on that from, or was that? Okay. Just... So th this is an example that that was not in the script. None of that was in the script. Okay. okay. So here's my understanding of what happened. Now this is based on secondhand information. So this may not be accurate, but here's what I heard that in an early screening of the movie, there was a point where the producers, Gary Lucchese uh, specifically, who's, who's a great guy, um, said, I think we need a jump scare. I think we're hitting, we're hitting a, a, a bit of a plateau here. I think we need to really goose the audience, um, which is a producer thing to say, you know? And if I'd been on set, I would have been like, fuck you, no way, man. <laughs> And, and Pellington being a filmmaker is like, oh, I think I see what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so they're like, okay, we can do this. We can do this. So, uh, it's like, what are we going to do? And so they came up with that scene and the audience, I mean, it just, it's like you electrified the seats in the theater. I mean, people are just like, whoa, I mean, they wake the fuck up. And then it's followed by a suspense scene where you've just been scared. And now there's these long shots of him looking in a mirror and you're like, oh, fuck you, man. What are you going to do now? Some ill's going to happen and I'm going to get scared again. <laughs> it was it was brilliant filmmaking for sure. But but honestly, like that, that stuff rings true. Like I've had moments where uh, uh, time seems to loop back on itself and I have moments of deja vu or um, I've, I've had moments where you could say I had dissociative moments like I, I don't know how else to describe them so so that one actually kind of oh yeah bell a little bit yeah oh totally yeah no i think that that one's great the one that was in the script is the one we just saw where he's walking and the woman walks by and it's his wife and oh. then this whole thing was was scripted where now this is the beginning of his paranoia this is where he starts Unwrapping. skidding off the road yeah and and it's Did all anybody noted oh right did anybody notice though the um, the subtle Easter egg kind of scare in the in the in the room, which I think signals maybe what Rich is talking about the start of his his mind unraveling. Do you know um, what I'm talking about? You're, you're, are you talking about the mirror scene or? Yes, the mirror. The mirror. His his reflection does not match up. With yeah. His, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. With his movement. Oh, people yeah. totally got that. And um and yeah, the people didn't miss, there was nothing in the movie that people missed, which is great. Um and and so this sort of now through almost the end of the movie is is the reintroduction of of the sort of grief trauma because because now it becomes very personal now it's not about mothman or indrid cold really it's about it's about wait a second this is about my wife he it's got to be it man like this whole sequence actually i i'm not going to lie the first time i saw this rich i kind of teared up a little bit at this because it was such an emotional moment it really it it it, it transfers yeah. through celluloid like it, it's palpable you know yeah and it's and it's so it's it 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 curves away from random phenomenon and back into I need to understand what this is about. And now I do understand what it's about. Now he's going through the Gordon Smallwood thing and, and it's, it's about my wife. That's what it's all been about. I now, now I get it. Now I get it. He becomes Gordon. Which yeah. is yeah, Which is terrifying because we know what happened to Gordon. Well, it's, it's terrifying, but uh, you know, again, seriously high up, high praise for the character development in this because this is what makes the movie work it, it currently right now i'm sure we'll all agree that that one of the biggest problems with cinema is is they do not do enough work on building the characters to the point that you even give a shit about them so so you know being able to look back on this like you care about these characters they pull you into their world and that's not something that you really find these days yeah, and I think I think grief is universal enough that even people who have not gone through exactly what this character has gone through get it. They're like, "Oh, he's that's what he's still working through this. It's yeah. been a couple of years. He still he has not worked through it." Oh my god, early uh, early drafts of this movie um in act 1, uh his buddy at the newspaper uh, there's a whole double date thing. Like it, it, it almost becomes like a romantic comedy for like five pages where he's like, you got to go on a date. It's been two years. You can't know. It's like, you got to go out. No one's ever going to be married. You can't hold that against them. Just find, just go meet somebody. And they go on a double date and it looks like it's going great. And then right at the end, something weird happens and he gets freaked out and it gets ruined and it's like, Oh God, you are just fucking hopeless. Which and it's so, so and, and I really that. love that scene because it was like, Oh man, this, this poor son of a bitch. He's really, he's messed up. It's just not, he has not moved on. And then he goes on this adventure and it feels like, Oh, this is kind of a cool adventure to kind of shake him out of it. And it's like, Oh, it doesn't shake him out of it. It brings him right back into it. This takes him deeper and deeper, you know, so instead of allowing him to, deal with this grieving process kind of his own terms and almost forces it back into, into the limelight for him. Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't guy. dealt with it yet. Like he's, uh, the, and I love this. I'm, this is one of, this is one of my favorite things in, uh, in writing to do is to have the, um, have the future, have the future incarnation of a character within the film. So it's like, it's, and, and it's very, it's not subtle. It's a character going, I went, I had an experience like you, and here's what happened to me. I live as a warning to you. Don't become me. And then, and, and then as an audience, the stakes are clear. 
It's like, oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah. That so Gordon is a version. He's a version. What's going to happen to this guy? It usually happens. It almost always happens in cop movies where the uh, clean shaven, fresh faced young cop comes in first day on the job. And there's the, there's the real, you know, there's Wilford Brimley doing it by the book. And then there's, you know, whoever Harvey Keitel, who's like, oh, come on, the bad lieutenant. With me, kid. No, no. And then the whole movie, you're just like, well, who's he going to end up like? Like which cop parent will he be? <laughs> and that's like, there's no way you don't ask that question. So anyway, there's plenty of red lights as it were warning Richard Gere, uh, John Klein warning him what to do and what not to do. And he listens to none of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, later, later on, did you, Rich? I think you said you base the, a little bit of your character in Miracles. Oh uh, yeah, Andrew Angus McFadden uh, yeah. on on a Alexander Leak type. Oh yeah, we just called him Keel. He was Alva Keel, John Alva yeah. Keel. We just called him Alva Keel. I'm like, I'm done. That's just, not even trying Keel. to cover he's it. John Keel. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Miracles. Y'all should look it up and watch. Go go on Amazon yeah, or the television show perfect. Miracles, the TV series starring Skeet Ulrich. Get that one. There's a lot of things called Miracles. Get is, that one. If there... you like this movie, you'll like that. And oh, then also God, get Lost yeah. Room. You'll like that too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100%. Is there any hope that we might actually see an HD version of Miracles anytime in the future? Do you... Oh, HD? Yeah. Oh, I don't think so. No. I'm not a fan of HD. What? This is not HD. No, this, but, well, this I mean, is. It, it might be HD, but it wasn't filmed in a way that um, that HD would. Re- I often find if I'm watching something in HD, I can see where the makeup ends on their neck, and I can see like I think I think that would. Have you watched remastered movie. Star Trek, the original oh. series Star Trek? Oh, you could see the you could see the lines. Yeah. I'm like, I don't need to to look within the skull of the lead actor you know i'm not saying i want some grain i want it to be i want it to look like this look at how beautiful and lush and textured this is i'm good with this i'm not saying bumping up to 4k (laughs) ultra i'm just saying let's not make it so pixelated because that's the only version you can find these days i mean are you you talking about like i do own by the way and the next time i see uh Speaking of the DVD, which I do own, and I will expect you to sign the next time I see you. Um, yeah, but but the DVD looks good, right? No, it uh, like on modern televisions and and playing devices, it comes off very very pixelated and distorted. So that's the oh, only really? thing, like just a way to upscale <sighs> it enough so that it's not blocky. Interesting. I did not know that because I'm still watching television on my on my Dumont. It's water powered, but it. <laughs> it works almost every season. It, you have it a also picks up a lot of ground pedaling. <laughs> and John, I don't know. This is a kind of a side note here. I I do have uh, four not great classy EVPs though with the DR60 because it just reminded me of this from Point Pleasant at about four AM rolling into town. If you, I I could send you those. I don't know if you could. There's a way to play them for you. Um, uh, for us all to hear it here i would absolutely love to hear them i don't think we'd be able to do it on this show because i'd have to take the files and pump them into pro tools but we can always mm. get together again sometime in the future and i'm happy to do that because 
Rich, there is a question that I got for you towards the end of this. I'm going to save it till the end of this, but uh, it, okay. it might kind of veer into what Forrest is talking about there, because I have some weird stuff to share about Point Pleasant as well. The activity has not stopped. Okay. Well, all right. what, I'll, what I'll do is I will email this. I don't know if you, you could just play it uh, into the mic or something. That's what we do. I mean, you're talking about, <laughs> we're talking about quality. Uh, it's like, like 6K of audio uh, resolution on this. So, which is why I think it works so well. It's just, it's just very gritty. I mean, I could uh, open VLC player if you want to send them to me. I'm not sure if it'll play through this because that would be, uh, yeah. I, I've never attempted to bypass like another audio program through a Zoom meeting, but we can give it a shot. Right. Well, I'll just, I'll just send them to you. These are, would you like wave or? Um, wave for that. the win. Okay. Always waves. Lossless is best. Okay. I mean, there's the, 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 I write, these are all loss. It's all, it's unintelligible uh, screen, but there is, there is a couple of, um, there is a couple of funny moments, uh, or at least one. Um, and let's see here. This is such here's, a, here's what Sonny scene. was talking about. The, these, <laughs> exactly. Like and it's not even this, this moment. Cause right now it's like really intense. So it makes sense. But right. normally, like in the scenes, if it's one on one and anywhere, they just get so close. But but it's know, even it's like, more. It's like, ooh, are they going to kiss while he's going crazy? Right. <laughs> Builds the tension. But look I at her house. Love I love this. the color of her walls. It literally does look like my living room. So much red. <laughs> oh, completely throughout this entire movie, it's red everywhere. Except becomes, for Mary's eyes, which are green. And I feel like that brings it down to a human level. And I don't know if that's intentional, but that's kind of the way I took it. Like they mentioned her green eyes so many times. Well, and just the casting itself, just casting Laura Linney, who is someone who's, whose iconography is that of authenticity and being genuine and not like, you know, some glossy starlet of the screen. You're like, no, there's a person. Somebody and, would expect and, to run across in downtown. In a small town. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm just, I'm so happy that instant. Oh, there's Mark Pellington. He's the bartender. Yep. <laughs> that is the director as the bartender. <laughs> yeah. I think you do. I think you get to see him again. And I, I love this sequence because this, I mean, Admittedly, this barely scratches the surface of some of the the premonition aspects of what was really going on in Point Pleasant with with John Keel. But I do love that you were able to work this in in like a small way because it is such a major part of the grander scope of the story. You know, right? Well, and emotionally, yeah, you're right. This was this was in Keel's book. He became very obsessed with with the answer. Like, yeah. well, what what is it all leading to? And and wanting to be able to predict it and why, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the dead zone. It's like, what do you do? Like, if you do know the future, if you think you know the future, and again, you're looking for meaning, mean? all these people are just grasping. It's like, it's gotta be, we've got to know. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There he is. <laughs> Which by the way, uh, for, for all of the people out there listening to this, who also follow my music project, Fulls and Floods, 
all of you know that Nine Inch Nails is one of my uh, favorite bands of all time. Mark Pellington directed the video for uh, uh, what was the name of the song? Oh wow! No, no. Is it Animal? No, 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 no. It's um, we're in this <laughs> together now on the Fragile from Nine Inch Nails. He he did the video for that. That's very nice. Is where it all goes crazy. Indrid Cold has uh has left a message through the hotel concierge. <laughs> Which actually did wonder... happen well in numerous times, too. One of my oh, yeah. favorite stories from the book is him showing up at a hotel and the clerk being like, Oh yeah, we have a stack of mail waiting for you. It's like yeah, 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 I, yeah. I just yeah. booked this place today. How is that even possible? Yeah. But the descent yeah. into madness here, Rich, like that this really was exceptionally well done. Like from the moment that the switch went off, like 10, 15 minutes ago in the script, it's just a constant descent. And he is just lost going down the rabbit hole. And yet again, this is something that I personally relate to um it's really easy to fall into this stuff and it'll it'll eat you alive if you're not if you're not careful yeah and he does it it's more so he gets lost in his grief definitely yeah well well and he his performance just all the way through we're coming up on a scene you know this is the obvious (laughs) for me this is the climax of the movie and then and then there's the you know, denouement with the <laughs> bridge collapse. But this is the spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Exactly. I think we all know <laughs> it at this point. <laughs> I know. But but we, when they were talking about, well, who could play this role? And very, I mean, you would not believe the names that came up. Um, but when they mentioned Richard Gere, I'm like. I would always just think, well, can I, can I picture him crying, like being on the phone and, and just like dissolving into sobbing grief that, that he hasn't quite accessed yet. And, and I'm like, I can picture Richard Gere doing that. There were other, I will tell you the, the, the most unexpected name of an actor who apparently really wanted to do this movie was Robin Williams. What? Really? Yeah. What? Mind blown. Yeah, his yeah. um his management was like Robin is very interested in doing this. Now I don't know if that meant they were interested in him doing it, or if he was interested. But it went on long enough that it was like, is this possible that Robin Williams? Was? I was like, I don't think so. I just I don't know. He's a great actor, but no. No, this this movie turned out exactly the way that it should have, but I'm not going to yeah. lie. I loved it when Robin Williams flexed his dramatic muscles, and I would have loved to have seen what he would have done. Because when he really dove into that side and, and with no comedy involved, he was intense, man. Like it. Yeah, I would have liked Fisher King. Yes, Fisher King. Yes. Uh, also, yes. the, a really weird one towards the end was uh, Father of the Year. Ooh, which is yeah. a, a, a he loved disturbing disturbing dramas yeah, yeah, Forrest, yeah what year what year was um fisher king 
93, no, 95, <clears throat> 6? I have to look that up. Because it was before Terry, this. I loved Terry Gilliam so much. <laughs> Everything that man touches is gold to me. Well, at least up until the point. Yeah, he did yeah. some really, Ni- really great stuff. 1991. Yeah. yeah. That early. Wow. Okay. I'm going to go back and watch that again. Yeah. Man, hey, if you ever want to nerd out and do a commentary on that, um, I, I know uh, the guys over at Incredibly Strange Films would love to get in touch with you, uh, Rich. What, to talk about Fisher King? No, just to talk about film in general. Uh, you got a lot of fans over there. It's a uh, network of film nerds, and they do Ooh, podcasts, cool. interviews, things like that. They would love to get a hold of you. All right, yeah, I'll tell You know me, I'll talk to I'll Just set up a microphone, I'm there. <laughs> careful i'll move the podcast out there and i'll just hire you as my uh, co-host look at this this is so good never seen he's like don't don't get freaked out you don't know who you're talking to you don't know what those voices are just remember her as she was and get over yourself rich i gotta admit like the the last the last movement of this film like really hits me in the gut. Um, it, and I'm going to be pretty open here and say like this film personally helped me get through a lot of grief and it helped me get through a lot of trauma and, um, taught me how to open myself up to people. I hate to be all new age there, but it's, it's actually very true. Uh, this this was a very moving film for a lot of us. Like whether or not we like to the viewers who are into the paranormal or not, this film really did tap into a lot of primal emotion for a lot of, for a whole generation. To be honest, and this is why it's developed this cult following. Is is it hits deeper than just being entertainment? It really hits home for a lot of us. Well, guys like you, guys like Forrest, um, who who actually have spent time investigating stuff. You guys see the other side of it for most viewers. It's like, Ooh, I want to go on the adventure where the person investigates the weird stuff and goes way into it. And this is more about people who have done it and have sort of, you know, they've touched the stove. It's like, mm -mm. now look at this. You, you get the climax of a movie is a man pulling a landline out of the wall. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> then his mic, beeper goes off drop. and he gets a fax <laughs> and a telegram arrives. Yep. But all right, all right. So as an investigator, I think this actually is kind of an important lesson is the further you dive into the phenomenon, the more you realize how much you need to loop that back around and connect with humanity. Because without that, you're you're losing your baseline for a lot of this, and yeah, this this is pretty intense. Uh, you know, it was always intense for me when I first watched it. Now that I've been an investigator, like actively for several years, this movie hits harder every freaking time I watch it. Man, it, it really does. But because I mean, Sonny can even attest to this. I will get lost in it, and I will lose connection with the people around me it becomes all consuming for me and it, it can really screw me up and it takes people like her <laughs> to anchor my ass back down. Yeah. 
when Thank I'm not lost with you, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> fair, fair. Also, I drag you on enough adventures and you've seen enough. It's true. Reel back in. <laughs> well, that's the uh, that's the, the sort of charm of the uh, like the Greg and Dana Newkirk, where you feel like, oh, they've got both. Mm. Uh, am, I, am I wrong? Am I out of my mind? Uh, I'm going to refrain. I, I will say I have a lot of respect for their work on Hellier. I, I really, really do. That whole series, I think, was very important. And it also illustrates very much how 80 to 90, actually 90 to 95 percent of the time, nothing ever happens in paranormal investigations. And I love the fact <laughs> right. that it dove into that. It showed <laughs> how boring this shit really is. But there are some but... other elements that I don't necessarily agree with. And and I'll be happy well, to talk about that off, off the feed. Yeah. But I'll say this. I'll say this. There's the, um, there's the uh, archetype of um, like Nick and Nora Charles, um, from the Thin Man, uh, Dashiell Hammett's famous novel, and then the movies. Oh shit! Um, so and and there's something. So I think there is something about a you know if you think about it, and I don't, it's not really been done a lot in film, but the sort of husband and wife, not the Ed and Lorraine Warren, but the husband and wife investigators of the paranormal who who are having a good time, love each other, can can keep each other anchored emotionally, but they can also venture out onto the thin ice yeah. of the paranormal. Brother sister. What? <laughs> what let's was go that with brother sister. Yeah. <laughs> let's go with brother sister. Yeah. yeah. Even know, brother this... sister. I mean, I like that too. It's it's that sort of it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, but I've got someone here at my side that that is a human relationship it doesn't always and, uh, frankly Mulder and scully had that and actually oh, i think and that is the perfect format if you really want to pursue any of this stuff with any level of honesty you need to have somebody who is more anchored more level and and more grounded and maybe even a considerable amount more skeptical than you are i have to be skeptical of myself and it's important to me to surround myself with people who are just as skeptical to keep me in check because the last thing that i want to do is become another freaking zach baggins because i if i ever become that caliber somebody take me out back like old yeller and put two in the back of my head i just i i can't i can't be that guy wow um, <laughs> well it's what it's what uh alexander leak did not have you know his kids stopped talking to him nobody he had nobody right. to share this with and that's a very lonely place yeah and that's where richard gear would be uh because it, laura linney makes it clear is that she's she's in to a point exactly and uh, you know that's part of her job she'll investigate whatever but uh you know she's not going um the full way and she makes it clear but she's she's certainly involved. I will say uh, cinematically, there are two. There's always two scenes for me uh, that raise a lot of tension. Or classic is cars parked on a highway that are all stopped for some unknown reason. Not that it's uh, here. It's just traffic. But like, there's something up ahead that's endangered. The other one is you see this in the movies where everyone's gathered around uh, a store window with a bunch of TVs, all watching the all watching something dramatic happen. Another little subtle bit that I 
just recently noticed, and I wish I would have brought up earlier, the use of dilated pupils in this is oh, pretty yeah. important. Uh, because I do think there there is something to, quote unquote, altered states of consciousness in pairing with the paranormal, whether or not that's coming from an external source or the actual activity that you're witnessing. The similarities of what happens psychologically and possibly chemically, I wish I could quantify that with data, are pretty similar. Hmm. Yeah, um, R Roger Ebert did not like this movie. <laughs> Roger Ebert has shit taste. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on like, now. I, but no, it, well, it, it, he liked curious, Under Siege uh, 2, Dark Territory. Uh, so, yeah. um, he, 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 two, two thumbs up. But he, he, uh, it's weird that uh, this would be more like something that he would like than, than uh, Gene Siskel, I would <laughs> uh if you had to compare the two. But uh, no, the, I was going to say uh, the good, great call out of the shots, one of my favorite in the movies, uh, is pulling back from the chemical plant uh, pre- drone shot yeah. through the bridge to, yeah. to reveal that. Yeah. Well, well, Ebert's complaint was, well, it's this movie that doesn't answer the questions. And then it, and then it, and then it, it it's final sequence answers something else. Like this is not, right. his feeling was, this is not connected to the question of the movie. So why right. we're suddenly getting a big action sequence and we're not finding out who the Mothman is. This is a cheat which obviously clearly I don't agree with. I think this is exactly <laughs> what the movie's about. Yes. And, and, and all questions that, that need to get answered do get answered. But, um, but I also understand that, that when you're used to watching movies that are, that aren't like this one, this something seems wrong with this one. Like, Oh, well we never, we never just got the answer of the Mothman. Like he never fought the Mothman. That's basically the argument he's making. It's like, right. well, he never fought the Mothman. Like, so therefore movie didn't answer the questions we had. So no go. But, well, it's, but it's think, a lot like, think, when especially you... on second viewing or, you know, you sort of go, Oh, I get it. Now that I know what the movie is, what, what, what the playing field is. Oh, I see. No, it does cover the field. Uh, yeah, I was going to say it's you see commentary by people who I mean, he doesn't know, obviously doesn't know much about the paranormal or why would he other than maybe some movies he's seen. And he's looking at it as cinematic entertainment. You see this commentary by people uh, about whatever it is, paranormal uh, UFOs, uh, Bigfoot cryptids. And you can tell like they don't know much about it because it is uh, more of a pedestrian approach but again that's that's fine but you could you could tell like their reasoning it's like yeah you wouldn't ask that question if you had really looked into this phenomenon yeah i think this, this whole sequence is so well done it just it all looks very real it doesn't have like a cg feel to it it all just feels like hundreds of tons of material crumbling i, I i'm just i'm never not blown away by how amazing this sequence is it's tastefully well done and it's not in overabundance as you said of like cg or i am a sucker for practical effects man like i i am from that era that's where yeah. i grew up and i if you can make it happen on camera do it don't take the cheap route i don't care if you're trying to gloss it up but something i want to point out here is that this 
this movie and, and its conclusion or lack thereof, depending on how you want to look at it, addresses one of the most important things about paranormal investigation that I think the vast majority of us lose. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's just something bigger. And I love this. Like, it does it conclude? No. Because if it concludes, there goes the mystery. The mystery ends. And the mystery yeah. is never going to end. That's the reality of being a paranormal investigator. You're never going to get the fucking answers you want. Like, <laughs> it's, it's just going to keep going one rabbit hole into another rabbit hole. And this movie really kind of taps into that and it also taps in as i said to the unhealthy level of obsession that can come with it and how it can literally destroy your life your perception of reality it can consume you whole it's well yeah beautiful and, cautionary tale um, and what it does is it's like if you look at it in the, in the way that it was presented and written is that this is the answer. If he had not listened to Laura Linney on the phone and had stayed, and and in in the script it was a little more stepped out. It was like he 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 doesn't answer the phone in his apartment. You know the 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 scary phone call. He goes to the airport. He gets the last ticket. You know he gets the last rental car. It's just suddenly the universe is opening a pathway for this event it's like you listen to her and that allowed you to go back get there and save her and have a life and save yourself but if you hadn't if you delayed even a moment if you had listened to indrid cold and gotten on the phone she'd be dead and you would have missed out on life so you made the right choice you listened to the right message and that's what allowed you to participate in life somber ending all of the beautiful reds though yeah i know and the car lights are like literally lighting up people's graves yeah. how you, i mean you can look at it that way yeah now i rich you you alluded earlier that you um you changed a lot of the numbers uh, on this in order to like you know not to cause any issues i'm wondering did you choose any of the numbers particularly for any reason I think I can't remember. I, I think there was someone in the book who had a dream that said, wake up number 37. And it was never explained. There, there was no payoff to that. But I just thought, I mean, that struck me as like, oh, what the hell is that? That's creepy. And then, and then later it's like, oh, I could use that here. And maybe, maybe I can just use that as the number and, and we'll just, you know, that will allow me to get away from actual documentary realism. <laughs> See, when people complain about it not having like this perfect pretty ending or whatever, like I find that like wow, chef's kiss, like wake up number seven, like tie it all together. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's just, it's just it's the conclusion to his story. Oh, there's that dude again. Um yeah. And <laughs> and it's like, okay. I mean what you really want, you want this is the landing. You want the feeling like, okay, he's He's not going to go down the rabbit hole. L Leek was a victim. Gordon Smallwood was a victim. He 
went right up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and then backed away. And that's, I mean, it's weird, but that is kind of my philosophy. Go to the edge, don't go over. And then go to yeah, Orleans. Heard that, John? Yeah. Well, no, no. That's that's his philosophy. That's not mine. I'm I'm ready to swan, swan dive off of the edge. I think we all know that at this point. Right. I mean, look. Everyone's got to you know got got complete and total race, disregard run their for own personal race. safety. You know. I'm too Richard Gear was was really happy that that the final line for him was wake up. Because that's very um, that, that that speaks to his faith and his sort of the the Buddhist kind of enlightenment. Um, so uh, just just a, a nod to that. No, honestly, if I ever got the chance to chat to talk with Richard Gere, that is exactly where I would go. It's like, can we talk about Buddhism and and your perception of spirituality and and all that? Because he he really does. He legitimately seems like a very interesting guy. If I had the opportunity to talk with him, I. I I would offer him a drink, but he probably wouldn't take it. So I'll offer. Him oh, he tea. would. Oh no. Oh, he'd take it. Okay. <laughs> I think he would. I don't know. I think he was drinking at that dinner we had, you know, 24 years ago, which I know was a great I was. story, but if you want to listen to that, you need to go back and listening to astonishing legends and riches uh, visits on there. So like, no, he's a good guy. I, I've here. never That's heard about thing. over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, had had a had a great experience with him. Uh, heard good things. He's still out there doing it, and uh, yeah. Although sightings have continued around the world, Mothman was never seen in Point Pleasant. Wrong. He he apparently <laughs> oh, no, you're calling you're calling uh, shit on me. Like no, no, no. Well, no. I, in 2002. No, apparently they don't talk about it, but apparently he still pops up. It's it's really really rare, but. Uh, yeah. Paranormal well, activity has he's... not stopped in Point Pleasant since his uh, since the bridge collapsed. It's it's still going. Yeah. Well, I listen, listen that... to the EVPs oh, no. I, I sent you. I just e I emailed them a little while back because I asked if he can be found, and uh, you know I guess the etiquette. I won't tell you what I think it it says, but uh, my point is that it it why and I've I've thought about this too. I don't know, Rich. Uh, I've asked Rich before. Uh, but why would we all think that there's just one? Or well, why right. is there's not singular? one UFO? There's not one Bigfoot. Yeah. No. So yeah, That's and well, I, am, yeah. you not know, I mean, many. it's fun to call him Mothman, but Mothmen have now been seen all <laughs> over uh, Chicago. That's the. That's the big place uh, where where there's like multiple very compelling sightings and stories. It's you can go on to. Yeah. Um, uh not not lauren coleman's site but um the uh oh well lon um okay. lon, lon, lon strickler yeah. yeah i'm like it's he's yeah. tracking them yeah uh, especially for the chicago area so it's it's seen but like then you wonder if it's uh you know something similar and again I, it, it may have to do partly with uh that is the you know, if everybody's seeing something, it's slightly different, but it's in the ballpark is the perception. Are they changing the the perception of it? Are they changing what they're seeing? Because it's dependent on the person as well. If there's a little bit of Vulcan mind link going on with what you're looking at. Well, and you know, and you guys had on that guy, right? Who saw <laughs> the thing with the leathery wings and 
you know, the oh, uh, we did. Yeah, we did talk to somebody who uh, was in the Chicago area, and this yeah. would have been the near. I remember it being near the core. He, he was he pulled he was over. And other highway. people pulled over on the side of the road, right? He was also yeah, a few other people. Um, you know, it's a very there's a lot going on there. He's a very nice guy. I don't think he told. I think he mentioned this, and I think we. Um, if we put a disclaimer on it, but the point was that he was in a very low part of his life at that point working. Right. Now this is a, there's a quarry that's actually near ORD. So it's near O'Hare. Uh, and he kind of pointed out that it is a, um, a highway there, but I think he was suggesting it's like he was having some suicidal ideation. And, uh, and I can't remember if he pulled over, then saw it or saw it, then pulled over. But I think the thought was crossing his mind that he could jump from the bridge or that uh, something was going to happen Ooh, maybe to him that that's night. Not good. Uh, no, but the sighting, it's like that um, it may have snapped him out of it. And you, you know, as we talked about the NDE experience, when it's not good, he, you got a message that you needed uh, or it was good. And you got the answer that you wanted that your loved one is still alive in some way and is waiting for you. So sometimes people get, they do get the, it ta- it's a, it's a very harrowing experience, but you yeah. do get the message that you needed. Not that you, know, you got <laughs> I mentioned this is that you thought I said uh, deserved uh, accidentally, but uh, it's the message that you were needing for you to keep on doing what you're supposed to be doing. And the people who have seen this Mothman phenomenon in Chicago, they don't like, no, I'm not hearing about people coming to bad ends. It feels scary. I know that people describe a, a like an oppressive feeling of yeah. fear. Yeah. There's doom. been, there's been no actual events of, of tragedy surrounding them. It's just been strange sightings. Yeah. All right. Can you, yeah. One of my favorite, of course, is the, the woman who is the, uh, uh, working at the postal station there near also near, uh, O'Hare. It may have been at O'Hare at the uh, tra- at the U.S. Postal Service transfer station, and she was getting off shift. It was like nine to ten to eleven p.m., and it was very because it was very clear. He's right there next to the building, so he's clearly lit up and outlined. And there goes the lip balm. Forrest, I don't think exactly. I'm going to be able to share the audio uh, through. This oh, no one. worries. That's yeah, just that for you. Again, it's, check this out. Yeah. It is, uh, it's weird. It's not, it's not terrific. I think the, uh, these are probably class C, but they're, uh, I'd be curious to, to hear what you think you hear, uh, because there is something there. Now it's debatable whether that is, uh, a message. I thought at one point, you know, you know, when you're listening to it on the device and you're sitting in the car, um, you know, you, you, it's very hard to make out. It's when I tend to pick stuff up and maybe you're overanalyzing it, but, it's, but like yourself, you're sitting there with headphones with Pro Tools or a audio, uh, digital audio workstation, and you can kind of go back and forth and, and repeat it. And then it starts to make sense. And that's, that's how I, uh, that's how I do it. But I will have to tell you the, the comical thing, and I will give that away is that uh, after, and again, you have to excuse the, the goofy, <laughs> the goofy questions. I sound pretty silly. Is that you know? Will the Mothman talk to us? And we're—it's a very tense moment. It's—it is like three thirty in the morning, um, just having crossed over, and we are on the road that leads to the TNT plant or to the uh, to the bunkers. And it's—it's it's on that road. And weirdly, I mean, again, it's not—it's 
it's explainable, but a very dense, thick fog came over the road. Uh, so that was kind of cool and spooky. And the car headlights are illuminating it. And uh, I just had to let you know, so you don't think it's a uh, spirit talking, but uh, I was with Jill and Roger Pingleton at the time. And after I said, is the, is the Mothman here? Or where can we find the Mothman? And there's a tense moment there. And then Roger sneezes. <laughs> and we all... Every you know, all three of us in the car jumped because it's like ah, he's, he's like sorry, um, but there was a there's a little bit of EVP after that as you'll hear. So I don't know if it's God bless you or Gazoon tight, uh, but it could be either either Roger interrupted this thing talking whatever it was <laughs> uh, with his sneeze, or he was talking you know, giving back a reply. Roger sneezes and then he has a reply about the sneeze. So <laughs> I'll let you. If I hadn't told you that, you would you may not know what it was. So I, bit of a spoiler I, there. I've actually heard those stories myself, but it's, it's a good one. All right, so um, we're we're gonna wrap things up. I know that Rich has to go. Rich, uh, I'm gonna reach out to you soon because uh, we do have some viewer uh, listener questions that I wanted to throw out to you, but we'll save that for another time. And I'll just tag this on sometime in the next week. If you got 30 minutes, I'll reach out to you on that magic of editing Absolutely. and all that. All right, sounds great. Sounds Rich, great. Seriously, thank you so much for making the time on this. Forrest, holy hell, man, what a surprise. I wasn't even expecting you to show up. So so thank you for... Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. No, thanks for the invite. And uh, and of course, I got to get out and get Rich a hard time just because it's not wait, a my show. I, oh, I, absolutely. Someone's knocking on my door. Oh, wait, I think it's Forrest. <laughs> well, could, Aaron, Aaron also had to bail early so, yeah. because of fatherhood. So we all understand that. Right. And Sonny, as always, one of my favorite cohorts, Thank you so much for joining as well. Guys, thank you all so much. Rich, I'll reach out to you. We'll do a, a quick pickup on this sometime this week, and hopefully this will be out on the Patreon by the end of the week, and the audio-only version will be out on Halloween proper. That's going to be my Halloween gift to the world. Um, so, seriously. Sounds great. Yeah, thank you all again. Thank for, you. Yeah, yeah. Thank uh, you, if, John. Thank you, Sonny. Thank you, Forrest. Thank you, Aaron. This has been great. I, I... I'm 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 shocked and always happily uh, surprised <laughs> yeah. at how much I enjoy even just watching the movie again and going through it visually. It's um it was a great it's, experience. So like thank you for uh, for letting us spend some time together. <laughs> Absolutely, thank you. Everyone else too that you have you have made a cult classic, sir. And oh, yes, you not thank you. <laughs> All right, I'll Good talk to you guys soon. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Pleasure. Many thanks to Richard Haddam, Forrest Burgess, Aaron Deese, and Sonny Sulak for joining me on this wild ride through cinematic history. Be sure to immediately head back to whatever podcast app you're using to catch the bonus episode, which is another hour of Rich answering your submitted questions, as well as a considerable amount of our usual tangents. If you're craving more XV Planets, please consider donating to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash xvplanets, where you'll gain access to our exclusive content. There's a whole other separate series on there called Transmissions from the Void, where I interview other people about their own experiences with the paranormal, as well as extended interviews, exclusive episodes with special guests, and much more. A sincere thank you to all subscribers who support the show and donate to the Patreon. You are awesome, and I can't express enough just how much every little bit helps to make this show happen a little bit easier. Don't forget to follow us on Blue Sky, Twitter, and no, I am not calling it X, 
Instagram, threads, Facebook, everywhere as XVPlanus. And you can follow my personal misadventures and music projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes as usual. If you like what we do here, head on over to iTunes or Spotify to rate and especially review us. And tell your friends about us. Tell your families about us. Hell, yell at random people at the library about us. Well, maybe not that one. You might get into a little bit of trouble. We are a DIY independent production, and the only way that we will grow is by you sharing us with others who might enjoy taking this trip down many a rabbit hole. Be sure to check out all of the great shows on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network, like Lux Occult, Unearthing Paranormalcy, and more. While the website isn't quite up to date yet, you can go to www.greenmushroomproject.com and add that to your bookmarks to keep up with the network in the future. This show is produced in the Black Lodge, wherever that resides in this moment of time and space and it is written, edited, and scored by yours truly. Music from the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods, or anywhere you stream your music. No part of this show or its music may be reproduced without consent. Copyright Folds and Floods Productions. Once again, I am your host, Flood, and this has been XV Planus. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far, and I'll see you in the between. Inabam Bratio, in Fluctus. Subvelope.